to For We Are Many. My name is Trisha. And I'm Chelsea. And we are your hosts and comrades tonight. Well, comrades always. Uh, tonight we're going to be digging into Bell Hook's book, Killing Rage, Ending Racism, a little further. Uh, we are reading the essay, Revolutionary Feminism and Anti-Racist Agenda. Do you have that audio pulled up? I do, yes. I didn't know if there was more to add. I don't really have anything to say, so. Um, well, as of yet, we don't have anybody hopping on yet. They might need a moment to see that we've gone live. Sorry, we're a few minutes late trying to organize some last minute thoughts. Time uh, isn't real. <laughs> right. Time is just a human construct. We don't abide by it very well. I've <laughs> proven that many times by not understanding time zones. Same. We've been doing a lot of that this week, especially. Like, like what time is it? <laughs> um, it's time to end daylight savings time is what it's time to do. Right. It's just a dumb thing to do. It makes well, shit difficult. <laughs> you would think with the advancement of technology and the internet that this would specifically be a problem for all business. I mean, not a huge problem because it only happens for a little bit and you get it down. But what's the point? There's not a point. It is not science. No. It's not. If you're it's, looking for science. Um, like Rob said, and, and I'm not sure where the quote came from either, uh, but it it's so fucking true of, you know, you cannot cut the end off of a blanket and sew it onto the other end and make a longer blanket. That's not how shit works. Time certainly doesn't work that way either. <laughs> but um, uh, welcome. I see we've got a couple of people who have joined um we're just giving things a few minutes for everybody to see that we've gone live and hop on in uh before we go ahead and start the audiobook so shoot the shit here for a minute um yeah yeah that um let's see oh awesome one of the viewers is from left signal boost tv Shout out to Zach, a.k.a. Bread Theory, for, you know, his collaborations with us and uh, setting us up to be able to stream there, too. Our other viewer has joined us from Twitch. Hello and welcome. Mm. Well, uh, if you'd like to go ahead and uh, hit play, we might as well get started. Okay. This is the essay, Revolutionary Feminism and Anti-Racist Agenda. End of essay eight on page 97. Page 98, essay nine, Revolutionary Feminism and Anti-Racist Agenda. Throughout the more than 20 years that I have spent writing feminist theory, I have consistently worked to make a clear distinction between revolutionary feminist politics and the more widely accepted version of feminism that has as its primary agenda achieving for white women of privileged classes social and economic equality with men of their class. 
In my first book, Ain't I a Woman, Black Women and Feminism, I suggested that the movement of masses of white women, particularly those from privileged class backgrounds, into the work workforce was not sanctioned simply by feminist thinking, but by the very white supremacist capitalist patriarchal economic system that movement claimed to want to dismantle. Coming in the wake of civil rights struggle, of black power movements which were demanding cultural revolution, a sharing of the nation's material resources as well as an end to white supremacy, Contemporary white women's liberation movement was easily co-opted to serve the interests of white patriarchy by reconsolidating white power, by keeping resources all in the family. Page 99. It should have come as no surprise to any of us that those white women who were mainly concerned with gaining equal access to domains of white male privilege quickly ceased to espouse a radical political agenda, which included the dismantling of patriarchy, as well as an anti-racist, anti-classist agenda. No doubt, white patriarchal men must have found it amusing and affirming that many of the white women who had so vehemently and fiercely denounced domination were quite happy to assume the role of oppressor and or exploiter if it meant that they could wield power equally with white men. Nor should it have surprised us that those individual white women who remained true to the radical and or revolutionary vision of feminist politics, who had been among the vanguard of the struggle, were soon marginalized as feminist politics entered the mainstream. For example, many of the radical white women who struggled to establish women's studies in colleges and universities throughout the United States did not have doctoral degrees and were soon let go as patriarchal academic legitimation became more important than sisterhood and solidarity. Often to stay within this system, individual white women were compelled to complete further graduate study, a process which was usually depoliticizing, which rewarded abandoning of radical feminist practice. The fact that she can't read solidarity is hilarious. Okay, but no, uh, so, uh, <laughs> pour into her. She doesn't know what the fuck solidarity is. We do. It is God so, damn it. Like, I've never heard this word in my life because I'm a white woman. Um, no, so, <laughs> but, um, uh, solidarity. Uh, but, um, I can relate to this specifically um, just because I have a mom that came out of poverty and um, she did so. I can't remember what the word is for marrying up. Uh, it is not common to, to marry up from a specific class. Uh, more common for women than men, obviously, but... Um, so to have her move up in class by simply marrying someone um, and then to see her get a better job and how she is talking about how it's possible for anyone, really it's not because it's not a common occurrence. And um, at the same time, I can see how that can move into uh, race relations and things like that whenever she, is a, she thinks that she's an independent white woman that has achieved feministic ideals in conservatism but in reality she only, she's only left out because she falls under certain she falls under certain um requirements 
in the system for it to work that way. Um, right. Marrying somebody who has wealth is not the same as actually having to struggle to earn your way into having wealth. Yeah. Uh, how she can try to draw a parallel there is befuddling. I mean, those aren't exactly my mom's words specifically. I just see how this can relate specifically to this issue of how people are pushed out once something hits the mainstream because the people that were actually trying to get to the heart of the issue have just now have to deal with an overly generalized uh, attempt at making it a standard and it's still not enough. Um, and so it's like she would never call herself a feminist, but at the same time she has this, this tone to when she speaks that is an individualist feminist kind of mindset. And so it makes sense here that that is what is wanted from, from society rather than having someone that is still thinking outside of what the norm is supposed to be. Right. Yeah. It, it shows that she's finding empowerment in, in having married somebody with wealth. Which is still patriarchal. And it does get more into that, too. And I don't mean to, like, talk before it actually gets into that either. But, um, I mean, I do feel still marginalized being in school and things like that. Um, not in a way that is direct, but it's just like, all right, let's move to the next person. Well, there's still a lot of fucking sexism in the education system, even in higher education. So, yeah, fun. Another note where we can uh, clearly say we haven't come that fucking far. Yeah. All right, I'll help play again. Okay, back to the text. No critical intervention renewed the spirit of radical feminism that had been sorely diminished by patriarchal optation more than the insistence on the part of black women and other women of color that white women interrogate their racial identity and racial privilege. Ironically, many white women appropriated the discourse of race to advance their careers, drawing from the scholarship and critical thinking of black women, even as they then bashed us for insisting that any meaningful feminist movement would necessarily have an anti-racist agenda. Page 100. This bashing is most vehemently expressed in the work of self-proclaimed white power feminists who would... Are you lost to... No, top page 100. I know that she just said that, but. She didn't skip anything this time. It's a fucking meal. But. Uh... I just stopped it at a specific time and it shouldn't have been down that far. Mm. No, she picked back up at the beginning of the last paragraph on page 99 um that was right where you had paused it it said where is okay whatever i mean 
I feel like I stopped at a certain point and then I, maybe it's me. Whatever. Sorry. Have everyone believe that there is no undermining of feminist politics when the central goal of the movement is to allow individual white women access to ruling class wealth and power. It is this opportunistic appropriation of feminist thinking that consistently corrupts feminist politics, sending the clear message to disenfranchised poor and working class women and men of all races that feminist movement is not for them. Given this message and the white supremacist agenda that is perpetuated by white power feminism, it is not surprising that people of color who do not understand the history of the movement, who may not have access to revolutionary feminist thought and praxis, usually see feminism as a threat and do not see the uses these opportunistic white women have made of it. If people of color naively allow our understanding of feminist politics to be shaped by mass media, which focus only on white power feminism, then we become complicit, denying ourselves and our diverse communities access to a resistance struggle that would provide strategies for challenging sexist exploitation and oppression in our lives. To many black folks, feminism continues to be seen as synonymous with bourgeois white women. As a consequence, any black woman who uses the term risks being seen as a race traitor. The dismissal of black female voices that advocate feminist politics has intensified with the resurgence of narrow nationalist thinking that either invests in supporting the maintenance of patriarchal gender role or insists that embracing an Afrocentric worldview will necessarily return black females and males to an idyllic location where gender hierarchies do not exist. Again and again in my work, I have had to reiterate that the racism of white women should be militantly challenged, but that it should not act as a barrier preventing black women and men from engaging feminist politics. Page 101. Even though Karl Marx was clearly racist in his thinking, this has never stopped black folks who seek to radicalize their consciousness around the issue of class from engaging Marxism. Surely it is patriarchal condescension that leads black folks, particularly sexist black men, to assume that black females are incapable of embracing revolutionary feminism in ways that would enhance rather than diminish black liberation, despite the continued overt racism and racist agenda of those groups of white women who can most easily lay claim to the term feminism and project their conservative and reactionary agendas. Often this condescension merely masks allegiance to sexism and patriarchal thinking in black life. Certainly the labeling of black women who engage feminist thinking as race traitors is meant to prevent us from embracing feminist politics as surely as white power feminism acts to exclude our voices and silence our critiques. In this case, both groups are acting to protect and maintain the privileges, however relative, that they receive in the existing social structure. It so, actually, this is a surprise for you because I didn't think of this until I was hearing it again. Um, but it seems to me that with her comparison of um, the labeling of black women who engage feminist thinking as race traitors is meant to prevent us from embracing feminist politics. It seems like that ties into her shitting on Karl Marx um, because she is not allowing herself access to communist thinking, um, 
when it seems to be very popular to call Karl Marx racist without any extensive explanation for it. Right. In in the rest of the essays that we've read up to this point, she has grabbed quotes from people to be able to show what she's referring to. And I wish that she would have done that there because as much of Marx's writings if I, as I have read, I've not come across anything that like specifically dropped red flags, but there's certainly the potential, the possibility of there being something in there that, um, as I was telling you earlier, is that quote unquote subtle racism of things that white people felt totally comfortable fucking saying because they had that expectation of this is just acceptable because it's, you know, in this relation to whiteness. Um, I have seen stuff like what we were discussing where Marx seemed to be reflecting on the state of society, not necessarily his own personal thoughts. Um, because there's other things that he has said that have contradicted that stance. Um, will you, will you grab that meme? Uh, has the quote on there. Will, you, will you read off that quote there? Uh, labor in the white skin can never free itself as long as labor in the black skin is branded. And that is in Das Kapital. And, um, so as much as I'm not saying that he's never said a racist thing in his life, at the same time, I see this accusation and I don't really get very much um, explanation for it. And especially with trying to look for it through Google, I get a whole lot of anti-leftist sites posting why he's racist. And so it just seems to me that it's another Democrat kind of issue which is something that she talks about in here. So I'm surprised that she would just say a sentence and then leave it by itself without giving any explanation as to what she's talking about. Because as a white person reading this, I do want to know. Um, and, and she right. really never laid it out when she normally does do that. So I would say that that's not very academic. Um, yeah, I, I wish there was some context given there to be able to assess something and go okay, is this racist or not racist of him to say that? And was he speaking from yeah. his own personal views? So honestly, if well, anybody- How much of it is lost in, lost in cultural, I mean, I'm not saying that how things used to be used to be right, but at the same time, I'm just like, I don't know what language or what context or how people used to speak because that can change within generations, obviously. So if you've got 10 between you, what does any of it mean? that. And so, yeah, if anybody has any um, references to specific points in Marx's writings that definitely bring it up referenced here, yeah, definitely let us know because that's something to take into context and yeah. actually address because it's not okay. And we are viewing this through a 2022 lens, which has a lot more clarity on subtle racism and direct racism than what was acknowledged at the time. Yeah. Um, I do have to go to the bathroom. But I also want to address this person. And um, if they would like to join us tomorrow and ask that question, I am tired of doing something specifically 
about women in leftism and having these people come here and talk about things that are not what we're talking about. Right. We're not going to deep conversation to discuss Ukraine and Russia today. Um, but yeah, I was thinking the same you can thing. Join us tomorrow. Them a comment. Yeah, join us tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the current events stream, and we will totally get down on that discussion with you. But this segment is focused on racism and sexism, where they uh, interconnect with classism and the difficulties that we have due to patriarchal, capitalist, colonialist society. Uh, I guess I'm going to leave you alone here with all of these people that are not talking, so I'm sorry. It's okay. Go ahead and hit play on, on the audio, and I'll see you when you get back. Okay. Uh, fine. <laughs> I know. You have notes on the section right after that. I know. I'm like, well, I better does. run. Okay. I'll be right back. No worries. It's usually materially privileged white women who identify as feminists and who have gained greater social equality and power with white men in the existing social structure who resist most vehemently the revolutionary feminist insistence that an anti-racist agenda must be at the core of our movement if there is ever to be solidarity between women and effective coalitions that cross racial boundaries and unite us in common struggle. These are the women who are determined to leave the issue of race behind. Recently, white women producers of an ABC News story on feminist movement went in search of radical revolutionary feminists to appear on their show. I was called, then dismissed as inappropriate because I would raise the issue of race and racism, thereby, according to them, changing the subject. Page 102. Similar silencing occurs in predominantly black public settings when race is the topic and black females approach these discussions from a feminist standpoint. We are seen as derailing or shifting the focus, not adding to the depth and complexity of our understanding. In such settings, we are usually bashed into silence. Given these contexts, it is no wonder that there are few black women who choose to publicly advocate revolutionary feminist politics. Indeed, the black female who engages issues of gender, even perhaps challenges sexism, can gain a hearing as long as she does not encourage black folks to embrace revolutionary feminism. Individual radical black women feminists who gain a public hearing usually do so by turning their backs on black constituencies, focusing their attention on white audiences. Often, anti-feminist backlash is the excuse they give for not struggling to promote feminist politics in diverse black communities. Yet usually, when one examines the history of their engagement, there is no record of any meaningful attempt to educate black communities for critical consciousness when it comes to the issue of feminism. Unfortunately, the individual black women who do address gender issues in black settings tend to espouse liberal or conservative politics. They present the same old reformist, social equality, white women's liberation agenda in blackface. Like their white female counterparts, these opportunistic black women are primarily concerned with gaining access to privilege within the existing structure. 
Revolutionary feminist thinkers must consistently challenge white power feminism so that our radical agendas are not completely erased by those white women who continue to support racism and white supremacy. Increasingly, more and more individual white revolutionary feminist activists are critiquing the racism of their white peers with the same militancy as their women of color peers. Page 103. Let's be clear, it was individual black women and women of color who were and remain at the forefront of the struggle to maintain an anti-racist revolutionary feminist agenda. It is a meaningful and powerful expression of solidarity and sisterhood that individual radical white women are daring to challenge courageously the racism of their peers. The essays in the collection, The Coming of Black Genocide, a reprinting of articles from Bottom Fish Blues, is a fine example. Described in the introduction as an underground Amazon publication, it has two main themes to radically challenge white women's complicity in both the ongoing black genocide and the patriarchy's war against women. Reiterating the analysis first given by black women thinkers, myself included, who are never acknowledged or cited in this text, the anonymous authors courageously make connections between white supremacist perpetuation of black genocide and the women's movement for white equality. Their analysis is worth quoting at length. Quote, if the just starting women's liberation movement had survived, it would have divided white society and would have seriously endangered the plans for black genocide. Born out of the sparks from black liberation with its own revolutionary pulse, women's liberation would have been guerrilla movement behind enemy lines. It might have sabotaged the machinery of genocide, just as the student anti-war movement did to the invasion of Vietnam omission. The power structure neutralized women's liberation by smothering it under the nutrisweet women's movement for white equality, and then pretended that they were both the same thing. Unquote. It is unfortunate that the revolutionary feminist thinkers who wrote these essays do not identify the work of those black women and other women of color engaged in feminist movement from its inception to the present day, work that has helped shape and clarify their thinking. Page 104. This oversight makes it appear that they came naturally to divest of white supremacist thinking and allegiances rather than having developed this radical standpoint and practice via a process of education for critical consciousness about race and racism that is fundamentally rooted in the feminist pedagogy of black women. Without naming this input, they can easily be seen as yet another group of radical white folks appropriating feminist critical discourse on race in ways that deny the vanguard activism of black women. By so doing, they undermine a politics of solidarity. I actually did not have this highlighted, um, but then it made me think of I don't know. Um, to an extent, I, I don't think that this is true for everybody or every white person that comes to realize this, but um, at the same time, well, we may get this kind of revelation from the people that it actually affects, which is the black community and specifically black women. At the same time, um, I 
having had to deal with the kind of environment that I grew up in, and I kind of want to wait to even delve into that because she gets into this with this author that I now want to look up. But um, that I would say that as a person that you can feel it in a sense growing up with these people only because it is a very strict form of fascism in which you could tell that you're being indoctrinated. I mean, even when I didn't know that I was being indoctrinated, I still had this whole thing of like, why is this so strict? Why is this just like, repeat, 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 write this down over and over again. And don't question it. Don't and so yourself. You might discover where shit. Well, and at the same time, I did grow up with my dad's second wife, the stepmother that I believe as my childhood to be my stepmother. She was white, but she grew up in a mixed family of black, white, and Mexican. Um, and so, well, there's obviously no theory involved in being associated with a family that's of mixed race. There was still just this kind of disconnect there just from living a specific, I mean, like, because, I mean, even when you're living around certain black people or living with Mexican people, like my ex-boyfriend is Mex like, so you're not necessarily having these kinds of conversations with those people either because they're not necessarily as politically inclined as we are um and so it kind of makes me wonder if, if if that knowledge really comes from a specific person obviously it comes from lived experience but at the same time so many of us cannot acknowledge our own lived experiences whether it be sexism or racism or whatever and so i i just don't necessarily think that that kind of knowledge comes from one single place but i do understand what she's saying and that if you read something i mean you should definitely credit where you got it from um and especially with the cultural perspective and the like individual perspective of living that experience that makes sense to me but i don't know if that makes sense what i'm trying to say i'm i'm just curious if having that different perspective from your stepmom coming into the family was one of those things that i don't know turned on a light bulb of like oh maybe this inherently fucking racist shit that i'm being taught at school is complete bullshit was that one of those aha moments for you of having her influence in your life even if it wasn't necessarily politically motivated no um it should have been <laughs> and i'm not no, saying well i mean, well, I, mean I, I mean i got there eventually um it just didn't happen <laughs> that way because i mean in psychology courses they teach you that you are less likely to be racist if you are exposed to people of other cultures and races um before the age of like seven or eight something like that and so luckily that did happen to me but at the same time just because you're associated with those people does not mean that you're associated with theory or political theory or that they're not completely right. as she said earlier there were feminist women that were still inclined to liberal or conservative ideals that still hindered them and did not actually completely so what my thing is is that no i did not learn about social issues from being involved with that family i only learned to not say things 
that are specifically aggressive or um, violent, like don't say the N word. Like, um, so I, I would very rarely hear the N word um, because my parents were so subtly racist that you couldn't hear it. It was one of those levels of conditioning to that type of thought as if it, it was being normalized. Um, and that's a problem that we do still have to contend with of um, oftentimes white families, even the ones who come out saying, I'm not racist, um, simply because they have friends or even relatives that are people of color that they don't realize those subtle racist things that are ingrained um, that just becomes that expectation of... I didn't realize it then, but I do realize it now. Um, but generally speaking, no, they don't think that they are racist. Um, most of the time, as long as they are not saying something overtly racist, then they think that they are not. Right. Um, but with this specifically, I don't know. I... I I get talking about personal experience and being a part of a specific social group. So that makes sense to me. But at the same time, there are so many factors in how, what people are subjected to that it, it just seems like, I mean, I might've just lived a weird life myself and I don't want to speak for, because I mean, I mean, it definitely applies to a lot of white people. It's just, I think that whole Karl Marx thing just threw a whole wrench in everything that I'm reading right now, and I just don't even know what to do with it. But I'm here to tell you that that is a point of discomfort that needs to happen. It needs to happen with a lot of white people. I'm fine with being uncomfortable, but... With those um, things being addressed, because it is a moment for some reflection on how you were raised, how you interact with the world around you, um, because a lot of these things just go unquestioned when they really should be. And it's part of that concept that I'm going to go back to once again of white supremacy and racism being a white people problem that white people need to fix when sadly it has been a burden that has been placed on the shoulders of black people as if it's black people's job to fix white people's stinking thinking yeah. and it's not so it's one of those things where if somebody's going to take the time to point out hey this is inherently racist and this is why to let yourself feel that uncomfortable feeling and you know deflection and go well wait a minute where are some ways that i may have espoused these things and not fucking realized that it was ingrained in racism and where can I grow from there and do better? It, it's something that a lot of white people and especially the like neoliberal types who swear they're not racist right before they fucking pop off some fucking racist shit falling out of their mouth. They need to take some time to do a little uh, looking in the mirror and go, wait a fucking minute. I just might be wrong here. <laughs> you know, that's one of the things that I absolutely love about this book because it will make white people uncomfortable enough to actually stop and think. I, you know, at least that is my hope of waking some people up and opening their eyes to ways that they 
are still upholding systemic racism or even personal level basis racism and not realizing it because they're blind to it because they're not on the receiving end of it. Go again. Absolutely. The crude racism and white supremacy that surface in white power feminism send the message that solidarity between white women and black women can never be a reality. To counter that message, those white women who are fundamentally committed to advocating revolutionary feminist thinking, which has as a core agenda anti-racist struggle, must dare to make their voices heard. Often the individual white women who have divested of white supremacy and who show themselves again and again to be our allies in the struggle to end racism rarely receive the limelight. Mass media certainly do not highlight their work. Concurrently, they do not shine a spotlight on individual black women or women of color who courageously work in solidarity, educating and furthering the liberation of white women by helping them decolonize their minds and actions and engaging them as comrades as they struggle to divest fully of racist thought and behavior. It is a utopian dream to imagine that white women will divest of white supremacist thinking in isolation without critical engagement and dialectical exchange with non-white peers. Page 105. It is concrete interaction between groups that is the proving ground where our commitments to anti-racist behavior are tested and realized. While white women can and must assume a major voice speaking to and about anti-racist struggle to other white women, it is equally important that they learn to speak with and, if need be, make it necessary to speak for women of color in ways that do not reinscribe and perpetuate white supremacy. End of turn four. Reading resumes on page 105. To listen to the next cassette, change the track selectors. We'll see now if they're switching over or if they're going to skip this next part because this next part is totally highlighted. Right. <laughs> uh, that was the first thought that came to my mind too. Like, is this bitch going to skip this essential discussion? Yeah. Follow. Um, but as but far as like, yes. this reflection, um, that is one of those things that really fucking hits home because um, in a lot of these discussions that I've had with people in various leftist groups and stuff. Um, there's always an occasional troll that is a white supremacist asshat that comes in there. Um, and I've, I've had a few of them try to actually call me race traitors for pointing out that this is a, a white people problem that other white people need to address. Um, and it, it, first of all, is fucking humorous to me because they're so ignorant. They don't realize that I am multiracial. So there's a, no fucking possible way for me to be a quote unquote race trader by people problems. Um, my, uh, my proximity to whiteness from being mixed and clearly, yeah, there's a lot of Celtic mixed in with black and etc. on down the fucking line. Um, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, yes, I do have white privilege and I'm going to fucking make Make use of it to call out other white people for being not realizing where they're being racist or in even broader context to to address the ones who are inherently blatantly fucking racist because that is something that definitely needs to be brought into the limelight as she points out that that the voices of women who are calling out white supremacy amongst white feminism get shut down and it it's super 
shitty. It's like, no, maybe you should take a seat and listen because there's actually reason for this. And this is a burden that needs to be borne, um, needs to be addressed, not shut down by either other feminists or by straight up fucking racist patriarchal asshats who want to try to play that bullshit. Um, and it again makes me think of that fucking a few weeks ago trying to tell us that we should be, I don't know, making white babies to protect the white race, which was fucking hilarious because no child of mine would ever be completely white because I'm not. But, you know, that's one of those things of, of people's presumptions of, you know, thinking that this, this is something that can just be brushed under the rug and it's not. Um, that part hit me really hard too because um, I have developed in, in an environment in which acts like it's very progressive. Downtown Tulsa acts like it's very progressive. A lot of the specific businesses that people like to hang out in do the same thing. And once you actually start to realize the patterns, of women still being taken advantage of in certain circles. Um, and as well as the racism that is involved with that sometimes. Um, and it can be anything from bands to comedians to other women. You are systematically shut out whenever you talk about anything in a serious manner in which you want it to be addressed and changed socially. Um, and specifically, that's why there's been some issues with me um, needing to block certain people from my own page, let you guys know to block people from our pages and groups and things like that, because they specifically actually seek you out whenever you talk about these things in a serious manner that attempts to change it because they don't want you to. Um, and specifically communists and feminists, people that claim to be those things, but are really not, um, they almost want to take from you at the same time as destroying you in that way, because they're really just trying to amplify their own privilege within the system that exists at this moment. And they don't know how to sacrifice themselves for things to change. Which, not that I've completely right. sacrificed myself, but I'm not willing to compromise on these things. And I don't want to, like, hype myself up specifically as being this person that is supposed to be in the limelight. And I'm not in the limelight. It's just how it works. That's just how it is. And you get shit on for it. And I don't necessarily want to be in the limelight, but you can see the, the hypocrisy of the people that loudly proclaim who they are all of the time. And really do nothing about it other than go to a bar and talk about it and don't make any attempt at positive change to do anything otherwise. Um, right, it's one of those things that if you're going to take the moment to actually address those things, it should be in a manner of educating those you're speaking to in order to enlighten them and wake them the fuck up. Because how are we going to end racism? One fucking person at a time yeah. learning and growing and going this isn't well, okay and specifically people that i have recently told you to look up before some of those same feminists 
will still associate with all of these same kinds of people. Yeah. And, and they don't have a problem with it. It's all just, how do I twist this? How do I make it good for both of us? Instead of actually trying to change anything on a larger scale than our personal lives. That right there comes back to um, something that oftentimes pisses white people off to hear, which is that this ideal of whiteness is literally a fucking mental illness. They actually have operated for so long on this expectation of other people to water themselves down to make themselves more fucking palatable for white ears that they think they're entitled to that. That is a mental illness. No, other people do not need to water down what they're saying or redact it or fucking make it softer for someone's fucking weaknesses because they can't handle fucking hearing, hey, you're wrong. All that is is egomaniacal bullshit where people don't like having to look in the fucking mirror and go, fuck, maybe I should address myself before checking this other person on their fucking tone or what they're fucking bringing to the table here because... That is something that needs to be understood. This idea that other people need to limit what they're addressing or how they're saying it so that it lands softly on white ears is bullshit. And it's fucking white supremacy at its fucking core because of so many fucking years of the entire fucking rest of the world being colonized and forced to accommodate white feelings. It is mental illness. I'm gonna go again. Absolutely. We're almost there. I cannot believe no one's here. Hey, we got two people watching, but they're just not coming. That's good. They're I just not talking. Somebody yep. got mad that I won't talk to them about what we're not talking about. Actually, that person is still here from Twitch. Um, so I'm uh Jugamatutu, if I'm pronouncing that night that right, I don't know. Um, thanks for sticking around, even though that is not what we're discussing tonight. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what language that is. Um, okay, all right. I I don't know. I'ma go again. Which date 106. Those white women. She did it again. <laughs> Hold up. Did it again. Skipped okay. all of page 105. Had a fuck. Feeling. This bitch does live in fucking time. It's a flip the tape moment, and I'm getting really fucking tired of it. I am like, this is, I I forgot that we hit one of those points again. So okay, I can go. You want to read it or you want to? Honestly, because uh, this hits home for me, so it's fine. Go um, for it. This revolutionary interdependency is usefully outlined in Mab Segrist's book, Memoir of a Race Trader. She daringly critiques the way an ethic of competition can lead white women to seek the upper hand in all their relations, including those across race. Segrist contends, as a child of Europeans, a woman whose, fam a woman whose families have spent many generations on these shores some of them in relative material privilege. My culture raised me to compete for grades, for jobs, for money, for self-esteem. As my lungs breathed in competition, they breathed out the stale air of individualism, delivering the toxic message, you are on your own. Being queer only amp amplified the problem. Traveling across class or race and class and cultural boundaries, my ear eventually became tuned to different vibrations 
so that I began to hear first as a murmur, then as a clearly articulated sound. We are in this together. My lungs relaxed some, my chest gasped the clearer air. This one hit me completely because that is me completely. Uh, being queer, being non-binary, and and having to compete for so long in this environment of a private school and trying to be better than everybody and being taught um, white supremacy and manifest destiny. I mean, she. it sounds like she's gone through almost the exact same thing as what I have gone through. Um, but I'll keep going down until... I guess that's the whole paragraph that she skipped as well as that quote. So um, She skipped that bottom part of... Yeah, no, I, I think I've got to go to honoring. Hang on. I'll make sure. And if need be, make it necessary to speak for women of color in ways that do not reinscribe and perpetuate white supremacy. End of track four. Reading resumes on page 105. To listen to the next cassette, change the track selector switch. Page 106. <laughs> Those white women... Like, reading continues on page 105. Hey, 106. Um, I don't even see where she was picking up. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm looking for it. And I don't fucking see it. And I'm, it is this understanding of revolutionary interdependency. Is that what she was starting to say? Because that is the no, bottom no. two lines of page 106. So she literally fucking skipped three quarters of 105 and almost the entirety of 106. So I'll take I'll a just, turn. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go down because this is still this is still the same author that she's quoting at the end. So I'll just keep going. I mean, okay, honestly, so I can just keep going to the end. That same writing, yeah. I can just go to this. I can just go to the end because honestly, there's only a page and a half left, and this is dumb. Go for it. Do not use learningally.org. It's not going to teach you a goddamn thing. It's bullshit. It's going to skip the most pivotal fucking points of the conversation. This puts the responsibility for these problems on the shoulders of white people. Which makes uh, okay. that she is a salty fucking white bitch who doesn't want to address those things. Um, when it comes to crackers, that one is a saltine. Okay. <laughs> 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 um, women and men of all races who are committed to revolutionary feminist movement, who want to end sexism and sexist exploita exploitation and oppression, recognize that we create and sustain the conditions for solidarity and coalition coalition building by village oh my god <laughs> who want to end sexism and sexist exploitation and oppression recognize that we create and sustain the conditions for solidarity and coalition building by vigilantly challenging the ethic of competition replacing it with the communal ethic of collective benefit communism those, those white women so we're that's where we're at yeah <laughs> you want me to start it Okay, yeah. Is that where she was at? Yeah. She hit the she hit the end of 105. She's oh, okay. Different. I thought she yeah. picked up that it, it is Well, when, when it split when it splits a sentence depending on where she starts it, it she'll just 
wait and then be like 106 after that sentence is over? So that's where she yeah. started was the end of 105. Okay. And who write about race in ways that mask the, make it necessary to speak for women of color in ways that do not reinscribe and perpetuate white supremacy. End of track four. Reading resumes on page 105. To listen to the next cassette, change the track selector switch. Page 106. Those white women who write about race in ways that mask the debt they owe to black women and women of color thinkers often do so because they are working within structures that affirm competition, that encourage folks to make it appear that their ideas always come from some space of original thought. The ethic of competition does not place value on collaboration or dialectical exchange. It does not create an atmosphere where individuals who have white privilege and authority in relation to the discourse of race and racism can link their work to anti-racist struggle by repudiating the need to erase, render invisible, and or devalue the work of non-white peers. Honoring the engagement with black peers that enhanced her capacity to break with white supremacist thinking and fully commit to the anti-racist struggle, Seagrest shares, quote, Lenny taught me that fascism was about isolation, about political movements deliberately breaking down the human bonds between people so that they give blind allegiance to a leader or an ideology. Reverend Lee showed me how to go after the lost, to defy the isolation imposed by denial, terror, and ideologies of hate. But I was lost myself, and I found myself, in part at least, in the acts of searching out others. It made me a different person, but not a better person than either of my parents. To differentiate myself, I have had to accept the gifts they gave me, which paradoxically, I could not do until I was sure I am my own person. When people have to choose, they go with their own race, my mother had said, but she was wrong. It is not a matter of choosing one race or family or betraying one another. The choice is for justice, community, humanity, the glimpse that we are all one organism. Unquote. <laughs> Page one of it is this understanding of revolutionary interdependency that must be shared if we are to reclaim a vision of feminist sisterhood that proudly acknowledges feminist commitment to anti-racist struggle. Advocates of revolutionary feminist movement are among that group of women and men who do not despair about the capacity of white folks to divest of white supremacy because we have engaged in resistance and seen the reality of solidarity emerge in the context of mutual commitment and struggle. These stories must be told to counter the mounting despair, to counter the claims of white power feminism. There will be no feminist revolution without an end to racism and white supremacy. When all women and men engaged in feminist struggle understand the interlocking nature of systems of domination of white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, feminist movement will regain its revolutionary progressive momentum. I love that last paragraph that hits the nails on all the fucking heads. Couldn't say it better myself. I'm, sitting I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at you. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Don't, don't fucking don't because whatever. Uh, <laughs> 
People are so sad. Okay. Um, that's, that's hilarious tech video. Don't, don't, don't um, do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Um, to actually be acknowledged and validated. I just find it fucking hilarious. It's not good enough to answer it. It's not good enough to even repeat it. It's it's actually the it's like it's the most mediocre thing that I've ever seen. Um, I'm just going to point out this: they're called shit libs, not lib shits. Get it right. (laughs) (laughs) We will. We will read whatever we want. Um, Um. Maybe you should go read a book. Um, no, uh, I really liked that. Like I told you from last night, we, we were having a group conversation and uh, Sterling specifically was talking about, um, how, um, we, like the mind is outside, like consciousness is outside of the mind, like, uh, knowledge information is outside of the mind and it's just being like read into, which is what I liked specifically about the, we are one organism. Um, and the longer that we deny that, the longer that we are going to continue to have problems socially as well as just problems of existing at all and putting ourselves in danger, not realizing that we are all connected. That My mom is the shit. It is. And that's one thing, too, that... Um, <laughs> I like how I just like, so gave this analysis. And then I'm like, my mullet is the shit. My mullet is the <laughs> right. My mullet For anybody who can't see the comments, they're interesting. Um, they're entertaining to say the least. But uh, well, they're getting better because I, mean, I have to try harder. I I know you and your mullet must bring more to the table, don't you fucking know? Well, hey, did you know that you have a mullet? Oh no, you're not. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> 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 oh my god anyway oh no, my hair only um, fell out like right here and then it just like it just <laughs> that's how you know when somebody doesn't have a real fucking <laughs> argument they go ad hominem like i'm gonna critique how you look because they don't have shit to say about your thoughts thinking is hard for you isn't it tech voodoo Anyway. Organisms that are not my mullet. What are we? Where are we at? Um, we are we are at this last paragraph, hitting nails on the head about how we are all one organism, because okay, look this this fucking idea of race. This is a relatively recent fucking concept to even hit humanity versus the countless fucking thousands of years that humans have lived on this fucking planet and not operated on those terms, on those basises. This is something that was literally fucking created in order to have domination and things like that come into play to actually subjugate certain parts of the fucking population and it's all bullshit because when it comes down to it every fucking one of us is simply a human that is all and this is something um rob it's recent in comparison to the amount of time that humans have been on this planet um and hi vigo 
hi Rob, glad you guys were able to make it and pop in. And uh, yes, sunglass truck guy getting triggered by a mullet. Mm -hmm. That it's been interesting, but uh, I just I, I love how she really fucking tied all of that stuff in in that last paragraph of people not fucking wanting to acknowledge that connection that we are all connected. We are all one race and it's the human race. And until we acknowledge that connection that we have and put a fucking end to the hierarchical bullshit that is intertwined in racism and sexism, the whole fucking nine yards, we're not going to actually be achieved revolution that we need to happen. Okay, mullet guy. No, nobody cares. Are did you take that personally because that is what you do? I need to go get more weed for my bong. I'm gonna pack my bowl. <sighs> yeah, it's interesting the trolls that we get from Twitch who want to try to derail a conversation because they're soft and they get triggered by honesty. Uh, I don't know what to tell you, guy, other than maybe go look in the fucking mirror and see what about this book has hit you right in your feels. And you literally just did what you're trying to claim to you. So I don't care if we bullshit for a half hour. We're already uh, real. Yeah, we're, under, in. we're real under time. But we, I want to try to keep this on the topic at hand. Right. Which is why I'm actually going to go ahead and block telephone truck guy fucking... He can go whine I mean, on his phone and, and go live if, if he wants somebody to watch and see if anybody actually will pay attention to what he has to say. To be right. jealous of my mullet. It's fine. Nobody cares right. except me who's still talking. <laughs> Nobody cares except that I came here because I care so hard. Right. Right. I exactly, Rob. If if it didn't hit that person right in their soft, weak little fucking feelings, they wouldn't have had shit to say. They would have just moved the fuck on with their day and been like, This isn't for me because I'm sexist, racist piece of shit who wants to troll fucking feminists. Hey, no. We live race. in red states, bitch. <laughs> you know. Apparently, Actually, your mullet triggers them. Mullet girl. <laughs> Actually, sir, my vote doesn't matter where I live. Thank you. All right, you're your mullet girl, and I'm Karen now. <laughs> Karens oh have purple hair. It's 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 a fact. It's it's in a it's evolution. Okay. Right. Just like my hair falling out in certain places and not others. Right. I'm glad guy told me I had a mullet. I never would have known. It's just fucking funny because it seems that every time we are discussing this book and some very real shit that needs to be addressed, 
we get trolled by people like that and he he wants to come here and pretend like we're in portland and doing gentrification and he he doesn't realize things like i'm from flint and amongst the gentrified um <laughs> gentrification is literally something that we address quite frequently because it's a problem hey dg did you know that you could probably use i don't know some some therapy yourself to address your own insecurities because that's what that shows me if if you want to come in the comments and call me fat is apparently there's something you're incredibly insecure about as for me i love myself and the skin suit that i'm in so on that note fuck you and goodbye you're now getting blocked too go take your insecurities somewhere else <laughs> I don't even eat Twinkies. It's gross. Twinkies. They're fucking gross. Uh, <laughs> now, Rob, all they're getting fed is blocks. <laughs> at this point, let's go to an hour and a half and then cut it off. I mean, honestly, I this is stupid. I mean, I don't care. We'll keep going. Mm hmm. Right, because I mean, I'm not like a legit troll. It's like half smart, but like, I don't know. I'm still irritated too, though, that people keep asking us about things that, like, I mean, they're not trolling, but they're still not. They're derailing, or at least attempting to. Okay, um, <laughs> did you read the description of this? Do you hear us with the fucking video or the fucking audio? Right. Um, they know clearly what they're coming on to fucking troll. Um, I can't read. Let's talk about Russia. <laughs> Goodness. No, let's let's address all of these things that uh, she has touched on here. Because this really is a, a big issue that we need to address because when it comes to white allies within the feminist movement calling out racism within white feminism um the rest of the world needs to fuck off and stop trying to silence those voices you know the ones who are trying to do the silencing are the very ones being fucking called out who don't want to look in the mirror and see where their own actions are damaging that's a problem Yeah, um, I would say that it's really hard for, from what I've observed for, for white people to, I don't know, they still have this collective mindset within themselves, but then as soon as it comes to issues like these, it's just like, well, I didn't do that. And this is individualism again. Um, you can go ahead and I'm not gonna. Yeah, guy, don't pay taxes. Uh, I do pay taxes. So what does that say about feminists? Actually, I was gonna say, but whatever. I have two jobs right. and I do pay taxes. Right. And when they're Um. <laughs> no, and <laughs> you hear these people that I work with and for. 
It was like communist. Why? Why does this person not work this hard? They must be. And I'm like, actually, the hardest working person here for you is a fucking communist. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, boomerang back. Okay, so specifically, white people have this idea of being. They have a collective mindset that is unconscious to them. And then whenever they have an issue of addressing something societal, something that is a social problem, they kind of separate themselves from it and act like they're not complicit in it. And maybe they're not complicit in it, but that does not mean that you have to deny something completely or deny responsibility for something whenever you know that there is that kind of prejudice that exists in just in social interaction constantly. Um, and so I have noticed that that's a problem. I'm not necessarily, I'm, I'm not necessarily coming up with a solution on how to fix that. Um, but I mean, like today, whenever I was at work and the lady that I worked with um, started talking politics, she's the one that brought it up, ironically. It's always the ones that bring it up that don't want to talk about it, that want to end the conversation after they've gotten uncomfortable with it. But yep. it yeah. just gets to the point where you're just like, okay, I'm not comfortable talking about this anymore. And then they don't realize that they make people uncomfortable all of the time. And that most of the time, those people are not even telling you that it's happening, that you're making them uncomfortable. And even There's if they do, they wouldn't care because it's not their own When they talk about communists, when they talk about trans people, when they talk about divis, I mean, it's literally fucking anything. It's just like, she used to have a real job and she used to work for divis and she, and so you're just like, okay, so you should have an understanding of these social problems and how they manifest themselves and how they end up playing out and how you should address them whenever they're happening. And she can't do it. And it just doesn't, I, I don't see how you can surround yourself with this world of seeing things on a macro level and not, and still applying it to individuals and still not seeing where all of this is coming from and still thinking that we just have opinions that exist in a vacuum and that you can disagree and you can find your information here and that I can disagree and that I can find my information here and that it doesn't matter whether we meet in the middle on it or not or how we discuss it at all. Um, and I mean, I, I noticed that a lot today in specific conversations that it was, it's something that normally makes me uncomfortable, but this time I was actually seeing it getting called out without me having to do it. And so it was pretty cool. So, and and that right there is why we need solidarity with other people and uh, for others to actually be genuine allies and call bullshit out when they fucking hear it, because it's going to take all of us. And Vigo said people are way too comfortable staying comfortable. That is absolutely it too. Um, and a lot of what I have found, at least in personal experience of de dealing with people like that is that making you uncomfortable is part of their, their goal because they think that if they make you uncomfortable enough with them not liking who you are that you would at least put on a front of knowing who you are to make them more comfortable and that is another fucking facet of that white entitlement fucking mental illness that I was speaking on earlier that they literally feel entitled to make everyone else uncomfortable to preserve their own fucking comfort just because they don't care to understand 
how people can exist differently from them and they don't like it. Yeah. And that happens whether it be racism, misogyny, um, crystal fascism, all of it is tied in together of if we just make you feel uncomfortable enough being who you are, you'll hide it from us so that we can, you know, feel like you're participating in society how we wish that you would. And fuck all of that. Fuck all of that. Nobody's entitled to that. Uh, Vigo said, liberals and oppressors will be quiet as long as it doesn't affect them. That. Um, like that quote saying, you know, first they came for the communists and, and, you know, on down the list until, you know, oh, they came for me and there was nobody left to speak out for me. Um, and that's precisely what we're seeing playing out again right fucking now of all of the attacks on leftism happening. And those who remain quiet are only doing so because of that apathy of, well, it's not affecting me, so why should I care? And it's like, you should care because this is other human beings being assaulted by this. And you might be next too. If you let them get away with going, this list of things makes it okay for me to attack these people. What do you do that might get added to that list and make you the next target after that? Did you ever consider that maybe you're just a stoned feminist? I am a stoned feminist and proud of it. Hey, no, but um, what I think is really funny, too, is that um, feminists are always perceived as angry and, like, raging constantly. And now... Well, I'm here to tell you that smoking rage. weed with mullets. Um, and, and now we're still doing it wrong. We're still doing it wrong. Okay, let's rewind because this whole concept, this goes back to what she was addressing in even that first essay of that rage, which is very fucking valid. And people try to treat aggression, rage, um, assertiveness, all of these things as, oh, that's bad of you. And no, all it is is it made them uncomfortable and they don't fucking like it and they wish you would shut the fuck up because now you've made them feel as uncomfortable as they have made you and everyone like you feel for fucking years. And that's another facet of that white whiteness, that relativity to whiteness, fucking mental illness and fucking expectation of everyone else to just fucking do what they want. That's... That's not how anything works. And this happens a lot in the feminist movement because apparently being angry is a male trait. So if you're not a male, then you're not allowed to express that. Fuck that too. I'm just saying it's the stereotype that we are angry. I agree with you that we have every right to be. But in this case, we're not. And so now we're too stoned. Right, we're not raging. We're, we're literally even though we're still talking, you're still having conversation. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not sitting here like Joe Rogan, like, dude, I'm so fucking high right now. Well, no, but but Mary Jane definitely helps to because um, women can handle their substances better than men can. We have to. It's evolution, 
and it's social problems. Fuck you. I can get high as shit and you'd never even know. Right. Nobody would know any different because there's a minimal level of THC. Except that you saw the That's the only bloodstream at all times. Normal for me. So they wouldn't know any fucking difference unless you could actually see the glaze in my eyes. I feel as though this has uh, been educational in its um, expression of our experience with living. But I feel as though now no one's talking anymore and that we're no longer educational. <laughs> we're educating them on the fine points of being stone feminists at this point. <laughs> so, um, we can wrap this up. It's cool. It's um, part of our farm, right? It's uh, yeah. I think we've thoroughly delved into all the facets fucking covered here tonight. <laughs> we can take this to a, a video call in the group chat and go oh, smoke wow. all the weed and espouse all the feminism we want on our own it's fucking gonna time. It's going to be obscene. The amounts of marijuana consumed. <laughs> okay, we've got to go. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight. This has been another awesome episode. <laughs> oh, thank you, trolls, for all of the good laughs. They were beautiful. We needed that. Go back to your trucks. Here's some music. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back Sunday with the next essay in this book, which is, let me flip the page here. Teaching Resistance, the Racial Politics of Mass Media. So join us Sunday night for that. In the meantime, join us tomorrow night for the current dream. Or wait, are we doing that Friday? I think we're doing no, that we're doing Friday. It's tomorrow. No, we're doing current events tomorrow. Are we? Okay. Yeah. So join us tomorrow. We've also got some other cool stuff coming up. So uh, be sure to keep an eye on our page for the promo materials coming out because we've got some cool interviews coming up that I think you guys are really going to love. On that note, have a good night. Enjoy the music.